Hi, waiting for the lights to turn on. There you go. <laughs> it's great to be in worship together with you and to see you here and those joining online. Great to have you as well. I'm sure this whole week you guys have been doing what we hear on media and maybe what you're seeing in your social media feed is what were you doing a year ago? right, this week. We think about how life changed so dramatically last year at this time in this very week. But I bet you in, in 2020, last year, March, you weren't doing that about the year before, right? But this was such a significant milestone that we look back and say, man, life changed so dramatically a week ago, uh, uh, during this week, a year ago. Somebody said, this is the one, I saw it online, was the, this is the one-year anniversary of our two-week quarantine. <laughs> how did that turn out? <laughs> Uh, you know, what a year. So much changed in an instant. This was the first Sunday that we didn't gather together uh, as a church in person because of the, because of the quarantine. And, and so we were streaming online and we were, you know, we were laughing as a staff because uh, we, at the time we were pre-recording messages anyway for online. And, and uh, so that week, Steve happened to be preaching, our, our student pastor, and he was preaching that morning and he was uh, recording uh, to, and pretending there was people in the room. So he's teaching like this, going around, and he's speaking, but that was the Sunday we canceled service. And so when uh, we were streaming that day, we're all watching from home, and we're going, who's Steve talking to? There is nobody in that room. Remember that, Steve? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. So we learned a lot over this time on how to do that, and, uh, but so many things changed. I mean, remember all the sports games that stopped and the travel that was shut down, the restaurants, the, the lights went dim, kids from school came home, and now they're figuring out how to do school from home, uh, jobs, work from home. It was, it was crazy. And during that whole time, you know, obviously COVID is hitting and starting to, to grow, and, and, and we're seeing it around. And, and what I think one thing that it did is it brought all of us, or at least many of us, to prayer, didn't it? How many of you started praying, maybe in a way differently than you had before then? And we began, and even as a, as a church, we started doing our, our daily Facebook Live throughout the week with our pastors, looking at one scripture passage and then praying together. And we were praying for things that maybe before we'd never even thought much about praying about. Like, who, who knew of frontline workers, essential workers, a term that we've all now been hearing, right? And, and healthcare workers, and, and we're praying for protection from the virus. And, and then if those around us that, you know, maybe got it or we knew others, Lord, help them to get through that. God, let there be enough toilet paper, you know, in, in the shelves or hand sanitizer. I mean, it was one of those times where we prayed. And then we got into that summer of, of last year and just the unrest in our nation from the protests to the racial tensions to all the political stuff that was going on. I mean, it was an intense year. And there was a lot of praying that was going on, praying for a nation, God, praying for healing, pray for a vaccine. And here we are one year later. Many of you have gotten the vaccine. Many of us are, are, are able to re-engage life. Kids are going back to school. We're starting to see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. So here's the good news. We can stop praying now. You know, how many of us sometimes get into that mindset where it feels like when, when, when things are tough, when things are challenging, it brings us to our knees to pray, especially in our own lives as we're dealing with stuff. But then when things start going better, it's like, well, we got this now. God, you got us through. Whew, thanks. We'll take it from here, God. We're good. And I know that I'm prone to that in my own life. When, when things are tough, I'm, I'm going to pray. And then when things start getting better, sometimes I forget to thank God for what he's brought us through. And then it's kind of like, I'll just kind of go on autopilot now until things get tough again. Well, today we want to talk about prayer, and we're in the series Flip the Script, where we're looking at how Jesus changes our life, and, and some of the stories Jesus told, where the characters in the story, all of a sudden, something changes for them because of, of what God does in their lives, and prayer has that power in our life to flip the script for us, 
to change the direction of the way things are going. So we're gonna be looking at a parable, the parable of the persistent widow. That's this parable that Jesus told. If you're following along in our journals, I decided to go a different route today instead of the parable of the Good Samaritan. I taught on that um, in depth back in September. So if you're really interested in that, I encourage you to go back to that message in September. But today we're gonna look at the parable of the persistent widow. So if I'd ask you this question, what is prayer? Or what do you think of when I say pray? Or when I say let's pray? When you hear someone say let's pray. Now, some of us, and I can be in that state at different times, especially when I was younger, it was like, oh, here comes the boring part. This is the part where it's like, okay, you know, the worship in church, I mean, that's like energetic. I mean, maybe the, the preaching can be, you know, who knows where, how, where that goes. But prayer, is that the time where it's kind of like, all right, space out? Or many, I mean, even, let's be honest with you, anyone who's intentionally tried to pray, like you're, you're going to pray, but your mind just starts going somewhere else, right? Or you start getting real sleepy and tired. You're intended to pray, but now you're thinking about your schedule. Praying can be hard. Praying can be difficult. I don't know what you think about with prayer. Maybe you think in terms of the, the prayers that we do on a regular basis. You know, what do you pray for when, you're, when you eat, when you have a meal? Lord, bless our food, right? We pray for blessing of the food. When you travel, maybe you say a prayer. I know we do. We pray before we head on the road. And Lord, give us what? Traveling mercies. You guys got that book too, Okay. Yeah, we have certain prayers and we pray certain things that maybe feel consistent, you know, or, or it's these desperation prayers. Lord, help me on my exam, right? Help me with this test I've got coming up. Help me with this interview, God. Oh, I've got this conversation. Lord, give me, help me in this moment. And so prayer is sometimes in these moments where we try to come and, and, and we try to have God step in. Or maybe it's prayers that we have memorized. Or you think about prayers that you hear and then maybe it's like the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. If you do it in monotone too, it's kind of like, you know, you might say, is, there, is it just words? Like, are we speaking? What, what's behind prayer? Is there any power in prayer? And then you come and get around people. I don't know if you've been around people who have the gift of praying. Do you know some people have the gift of prayer? And when you have that gift of prayer, if you've been around someone with the gift of prayer, we all should pray. You don't have to have the gift in order to pray. But if you've got that gift of prayer, there's this power that seems to come from the words. There's a life that seems to emanate, and, and if you've been around that, I've had some of you pray for me. Am I kind of going in and out a little bit? Do I? I'll keep going. I may have to grab another microphone here. Somebody tell me in the back if that's what I got to do. Uh, and you get around people, and I've had them pray for me, and you just feel like you're being taken to another place. You feel like you're going before God, and it's like there's some power behind that. How can we pray in a way that for all of us, whether or not we have the gift, that we can do this? Okay, it's my microphone. Somebody tell me something here. Ed, do I need to use a different microphone? Okay. All right. This is only the singing microphone. It's from Roger. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Trying this again. All right. Here we go. All right. Very good. All right. Now, where were we? We were talking about prayer, right? Well, let's talk about this. is This is an interesting foundation for the word for prayer. If you look at the Greek word, the origin of that word is prosukomai. Prosukomai. Say that with me. It's kind of fun to say. Prosukamai, okay? Good thing, you know, you got your masks on. You don't want to spit on anyone when you're speaking this out. But it's made up of two words, pros and ukumai, right? Ukumai. So the pros word you see here is toward or facing or before. And so what we, we have in this word is that prayer is this idea of entering into the presence of someone. You're going to look at them. You're going to face them. You're going to engage with them. So we're going to God and we're going to pray. We're going to enter his presence. We're going to go right before God. And what are we going to do when we go in front of him? We're going to yukamai, all right? And that means to speak out, to utter aloud, to express a wish. We're going to say something. 
We're gonna have a conversation. We're gonna engage with God. This is prosukumai, entering confidently into his presence. And as we're there in his presence, we let him know what's on our heart and mind. So if I put that simply, if I were to translate prayer simply, I would say prayer is talking with God. Right, just in the most simple way, it's having a conversation, it's communicating with God. And we can hear this, and we can say, let's, let's pray. But I think we forget what's really going on here. I mean, just think about this for a minute when you think about prayer. You and me, mere mortals, right? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, just people. We're like little gnats in space and time. We're powerless to do anything. And here we are, we go and we come before the all-powerful, almighty God of the universe, creator of heaven and earth, and we have the privilege of being able to speak to our creator in heaven. Isn't that mind-blowing? And sometimes we just take it as such a, such a small thing, like let's just pray, like God help me in this moment. Or we use God's name in vain, right? And, and in these moments. No, this is a powerful moment where God can do something, where he can step in in space and time and change something in our lives. And so we think about this power of prayer. Well, I wanna look at a simple story today that Jesus told, and like I said, it's the parable of the persistent widow and how something changed in her life. And we're gonna look at this in Luke chapter 18, and beginning here at verse one, gives us the context of why Jesus is telling this story. Luke 18, verse one. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Again, that seems like a burdensome kind of challenge, isn't it, right? Always pray and never give up. I mean, wow, how do we do this? What do we do? Always praying. Why did he feel like he needed to teach them about this? Because they didn't always want to pray and because they gave up in their prayers or they would be prone to give up in their prayers. And so Jesus understood this is something I need to let my disciples know is important. And so I'm going to tell them the story because maybe this will help them to remember that they should always pray and never give up. And so he tells them this story. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A, wid a widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, or at least he's honest about his own self-assessment, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm gonna see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. What have you thought of? Have you heard of the story? Have you thought about prayer? Well, Jesus goes on and he actually explains what he's talking about here, he says. Then the Lord said, he said to those around, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns... How many will he find on the earth who have faith? All right, so let's look at the story and let's look at what Jesus talks about that and understand a little bit more about prayer. So we got two characters in the story. We've got a widow and a judge. The widow, and as we read throughout scripture, widows and orphans were the most vulnerable in society and to be taken care of and they could easily be taken advantage of. And maybe in the story, Jesus doesn't give us the details, but maybe her last milk cow was taken, right? And all of a sudden her livelihood isn't there. Or maybe, again, some, some issue with property, or maybe she was taken advantage of in a different way. We don't know. But there was an injustice. Something took place that she couldn't remedy on her own. She needed someone else from the outside to step in and try to make things right. That's why you go before a judge, right? And, I, and, and, and sometimes I understand the situation as a dad, and if you're a parent, you, you know this. Your kids can't seem to remedy situations on their own at home, right? 
It seems like stuff they just can't. Can you guys figure this out? I know she didn't ask to borrow your sweater, but can you just, you know, solve this? Or, you know, I don't get my fair share of the dessert. Or you're sitting on my seat of the half of the car. Or you're bumping into me. Or you called me a nincompoop. Or whatever it is, right? Like these, these things, these disputes. And so what do they do? They, they come before a parent. This woman came before a judge. But the issues in life for us as we get a, to be adults are much bigger than that, right? There's much more going on. Maybe something happened where you've lost thousands of dollars or maybe you've lost a business due to a contract dispute or somebody taking advantage of you. Maybe there's just, again, some, some, um, some injustice that's taken place where you need to go before the court. Maybe somebody has abused you in a way and there's some legal action that you need to take. But there are issues that we don't take to court. There are issues that just weigh on us. There's things in each of our lives where we go, this isn't right and I don't know that I can make this right. You know, maybe you lost your job and finances are tight and you're going, God, I don't know how to make it financially. I need some help. This doesn't seem to be right. God, I need some help. Maybe, maybe you're a grandparent and your, 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 your son or daughter won't let you see your grandchild. There's a relationship tension there. Maybe somebody has, has you know, cheated on you. Maybe somebody is, is dealing with, you know, just back pain or, or just issues or your child has leukemia. I mean, you go on and on and you go, these are issues where you go, I can't remedy this on my own. And so what do we need to do? We go before God and we say, God, do something about this. God, would you intervene? And so we go in front of God. Well, we go before the judge. So now we look at the story and we've been talking about parables are a story that goes alongside a reality that God's trying to teach us and the characters represent different things. So the widow is, is like us. He's teaching the disciples. This is, we have a need. There's an injustice. There's something that we need. And so we go before the judge. Well, is the judge God? That's the question. Is the judge God? And maybe it's a kind of a trick question because in some ways the judge is God, right? I mean, he's the one, like a judge has the power to change the situation, to enact justice, to, to bring the powers to be, to require restitution. A judge can do that. So God can do that. He has the authority. He has the power. But this is a parable more of contrast instead of comparison. Unlike the judge, that's what God is like. The judge is, is, it doesn't care about God, right? He has no authority over God. He, he thinks he's independent. Well, God has all the authority. This judge doesn't care about people. God cares about you. God cares about each and every one of us. And so God is more like, unlike this judge. So here's the thing. We often, if you've heard this parable before, I think it's easy to read this parable and to think, you know what? Um, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. God is up there. He doesn't really care. He's not really listening. So I just got to keep begging and begging and begging and begging and begging. And eventually I'm going to wear him down. Listen, the point is not keep begging because God is reluctant like the judge in the story. That's what we think. I think many times just keep begging. God doesn't really care. God doesn't really want to do something. Otherwise something would happen already. Here's the point. The point is don't give up because God is good and is listening. Unlike the judge in the story. Remember Jesus said, even this judge granted justice in the end. How much more? How much more will your heavenly father, how much more will God grant justice to those who seek him? And so God wants to answer our prayers. God wants to, to come alongside and grant us justice. But what really threw me in this story is when I get to this last verse of Jesus's explanation in Luke 18, verse eight. He ends this whole passage here and it says, but when the son of man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? And I actually thought that didn't really fit with the rest of the scripture and, and the story that we just heard. He's like, he's talking about praying persistently. What is faith and justice in the end? He's stepping back, I think, and saying prayer is really giving us a glimpse into something more. It's not just about praying through an issue. It's talking about faith. 
Let me put it this way. Prayer is one of the clearest demonstrations of our faith. When we pray, it's one of the clearest ways that we declare that we are people of faith, that we believe, that we trust in a God and a power beyond ourselves. And so he's saying, when he comes back, who's going to be faithful like this persistent widow? Maybe not just in one case, but throughout our life, being persistent and being constant in our prayer. And that relates back to that very first verse that we looked at, right? Always pray and never give up. So let's look at those two pieces real quick. Always pray. That's being consistent in prayer. Always pray. How is it possible to always pray? First Thessalonians 5.17 says, never stop praying. Another translation says, pray without ceasing. Is that possible? Is that possible to always be praying? I mean, Jesus is saying, here's the story. Always pray. Pray without ceasing. Never stop. Sure goes against our desperation prayers, right? Those ones where just in the moment, that's when we crawl out to God when we need something. How do we always pray? Ephesians 6, 18 says it this way. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. That's a lot of praying on all times and every occasion. How do we do that in this moment? We could be praying right now in the spirit. I'm praying right now as I'm preaching. You know what I'm praying for? I'm praying for God, help me communicate this clearly. God, am I true to your word? God, can the lights go on? God, can you please wake him up? God, can they, those people keep stop talking? No, can that person at home like put down their drink and pay attention to what's on the TV? No, I mean, but, I, but I'm praying like, God, please translate this. And what you can be doing as you're sitting out here too is going, God, what do you wanna teach me? What am I trying to learn through this prayer? God, um, how's my prayer life? And this is a state of praying. It's praying in the spirit. It's the recognizing God is present everywhere and every occasion. It's when you go about your day and, and you don't just pray in the morning before you leave, but it's as you're heading out. And maybe as you're getting ready to go into a meeting or, or to, with somebody going, God, uh, what, what do I need out of this time? What's my role in this place? Sometimes I'm in conversations and, and have a meeting with somebody and I'm thinking, God, help me understand. What is it that, that I need to hear in this, what this person is saying? God, what, what is your, give me something, Lord. How, how can I be an encouragement? What is it that you want me to do in this time? This is a constant state of prayer where it's just an ongoing dialogue with your heavenly father. This is prayer. And, and we read in the New Testament several different places. It says that believers were devoted in prayer. And I wonder, would that be said of us today? Would that be said as a people here at Meadow Park Church, Mark Krenz and his family, are we devoted to prayer? Or is prayer just something we do when we come to church on a Sunday or before a meal? Is there this devotion that we say, I'm focused on that? So that's always praying is consistent prayer. The second part was never give up. So we can be consistent, always praying, I mean, you know, or we're always praying, but at some point maybe we stopped. We were consistent, we were praying, but this is now persistence. How do we stay persistent in prayer? The second part of Ephesians 6, 18 that we just read says it this way, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers. To stay alert, it's so easy to fall asleep. It's so easy to kind of drift off. It's so easy to zone out. It's so easy to forget. Even Jesus' disciples, right, in the Garden of Gethsemane, I mean, these were the 12, man. These were the guys that he picked. He calls them into the garden and he asks them to pray and he says, couldn't you even stay awake for one hour in my most difficult time of need? He's saying prayer can be difficult. Another translation says, don't lose heart. What are you praying for? What are you trying to pray through? What, what has God given you to keep praying and to keep seeking him? What happens when we are consistent and persistent in our prayers? Things change. But here's what changes. Listen, prayer doesn't change God. It changes us. 
See, I think we see this parable, we read this parable, go, wow, the judge changed his mind. God's gonna change his mind. God has a mind to know what is best for us. We don't change God's mind, but God changes us. He does lend his, his ear. He does listen. And you might say, well, then why should I even pray if we can't change God's mind? Oh, it, prayer changes things. Prayer changes situations. God does miracles, right? He parts the Red Sea. He overcomes difficult things. There can be miraculous healings. Absolutely, God can do those things. But it's not just because we convinced him to. It's because it meets whatever God's plan is. And we try to, try to, to say, God, I want to align with what you're doing. See how, th- listen, let me put it another way. Spending time with our Father shapes who we are becoming and where we are going. Spending time with our Father shapes who we are becoming and where we are going. So let me put it in terms, again, of, of a family example. And, and, and when Jesus said, this is how you should pray, he said, you begin by saying, you know, our Father, our Father. He talks about that relationship. We, should, we approach God as Father, not as some being that can't be accessed, you know, Abba, Father, Daddy. So I think about it this in terms of my role as a dad and with my daughters and how if prayer is more like a conversation, if prayer is more like the way that we engage in a constant way, it's like waking up in the morning. Like my girls, if I'm still in bed and they wake up before me, every one of them, they'll come into our bedroom and they'll be, morning, Dad. They still jump into bed and they're just like, oh, it's so warm over here, you know, anyone, right? It's so nice. Or if I'm, you know, if I'm up and I'm downstairs or whatever, I see them. Good morning. We start our day together. Good morning, God. Good morning. How are you, Heavenly Father? We begin, and, and as we leave, before we leave the house, what's going on? What do you have on your schedule today? Well, let's pray about that. Let's talk about that. Or maybe there's some advice. Then we go through the day. Now we're separated, but with modern technology, I love every once in a while getting a text throughout the day, right? Hey, Dad, here's something funny, you know, and then we text back with some silly memes or do something, or maybe it's a question, or maybe they're in a, she's in a difficult test and she needs me to help her with an answer. No, I'm just kidding. I don't do that. <laughs> but we have this connection, even throughout the day, that, that it could be mundane things. It could be a serious question, something that's going on. And then when we get home, what do we do? We, we, how was your day? We sit around the dinner table when we can spend that time together. What was good? What was bad? Um, and we talk about life. And one of the cool things over the last um, maybe six months or so, uh, my, my oldest daughter, Miana, she says, Dad, can we go on a walk? She's always asked me to go on a walk. And I'm going, man, yes. <laughs> when my high school daughter wants to go on a walk with her dad, it's a yes almost every time. Um, and, and when we go out, we just, t- we just talk about whatever, whether it's a 10-minute walk or an hour-long walk and all kinds of things about life. Her, her least favorite topic was when I uh, somehow got onto the topic of uh, refinancing our mortgage. And... Uh, <laughs> I was like, she's got to know what interest rates are and how that happens and all that kind of stuff. And um, so, I, I, yeah, I can't do that too many times. She won't ask for going on a walk. But we talk about all kinds of things in life, what's going on in her life and, and, uh, and, and in politics and in the world and in the church. And we just, we talk. And, and I think about this in terms of praying to God, just this dialogue, this conversation. What happens as a parent to our kids? Those conversations, they shape our children. That's what shapes them. Where else do they learn the values? Obviously, they observe them and they see them, but it's in conversation where we give advice. I want nothing but the best for each one of my kids as you do for yours. Kids, teenagers, your parents want, none of them are going there. I'm gonna make a decision that's the worst thing for you. No, when they give advice or when they ask you to do something, it's for the best. Now, you have the choice and we have the choice to, to go differently, but that's the guiding and the direction. That's how we communicate with our Heavenly Father. And it's in those times where I hear her needs and I hear what they want. There are moments where I can intercede with a miracle, can't I? Because I have more money than they do, right? 
So I can give them a gift. I can do something special. I can, you know, something that surprises them out of the ordinary because I know, but then there's times where I don't give them what they want, right? This is how God works, but there's this shaping, there's this changing that takes place in this relationship. And so this is how prayer can flip the script in our lives. Prayer flips the script in our lives because God changes us. He shapes us. So let me just take a couple moments here and talk about how to pray. Because I think some of us just assume everyone knows how to pray, or maybe you just have one idea. Let me just give it a real simple five steps here to how to pray. The first one is this. Acknowledge God's presence. If you want prayer to flip the script in your life, you acknowledge God's presence. Now, this is more than just saying, you know, hi, God, dear God, our Heavenly Father. This is the act of faith. Think about it. The minute you say, dear God, or our Heavenly Father, you're either expressing faith or you are bat crazy. (laughs) Right? Who are you talking to? Why are you speaking into air? There's nothing there. This is why addressing God is one of the most powerful acts of prayer that you can do because you are acknowledging this is God's presence. Dear God, our heavenly father, I'm addressing the creator of the universe and this is powerful, a huge step of faith. So every time you pray, know that you are expressing an act of faith. And this is where God is saying, Jesus was teaching, who's gonna be found faithful? Who continues to believe and trust in God as our creator? So acknowledge God's presence. Second is this, tell God what's on your heart. The good, bad, and the ugly. Be honest. Be honest. We read the Psalms, and and that's what we're doing right now for a couple of weeks on our morning prayer and devotional on Facebook Live is we're just going to do a psalm a day, and we see raw honesty in Scripture. Nothing's just, you know, sugar-coated and and said the way it needs to be. And sometimes I think some of you, you know, I've talked to many over the years as a pastor, oh, I can't pray out loud, or I can't pray as somebody else. Because your idea of prayer is, oh, gracious heavenly Father, I beseech thee in this most divine hour. You are our omnipotent, omniscient. You are my Jehovah Jireh, Lord. And it's like, what are you talking about? Now, if these are your words, and if this is an honest expression, I'm not making fun. But I think many times we think this is what prayer is, where instead of, you know, we read actually a parable right after this one in in Luke 18, comparing the, the way a Pharisee prayed and the way a sinner prayed. And the sinner said, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's it. And Jesus said, you know whose prayer was heard? It was from the heart. It was honest. It was real. It's what's going on. And so when we come to God, all we got to say is, God, this is what's going on in my life. God, I'm struggling with, and you fill in the blank. You just tell him. Third thing, ask God for help. Now, sometimes we feel like, oh, are we always going to God for help? Well, there's times we pray, obviously, just for Thanksgiving, and things are good, and we just thank God. But let's be real. We need God's help. We need his intervention. And God says, ask in Philippians 4, verse 6, make your requests known to God. He wants to know. Make those requests. So let's ask him, God, what is it that that you need? God, I need healing. God, I need wisdom. God, I need direction. God, I need some resources. God, I need a way out. I need a way through. Let him know. This is where we often stop in our prayers. And I think this next one is really important. Trust God trust God. This is where the shaping begins to happen in our prayers. Because when we just say, God, this is what we want. This is what I want you to do. And then we step back and go, God, I want you to do it exactly the way that I said I wanted it to happen. And then we go, oh, God didn't answer my prayer. Trusting is listening. Now, trusting is saying, all right, God, this is what Jesus said, right? Your will be done, not mine. 
God, I trust you. I trust that you are a good father. You are a good judge that can make things happen. You want what's best for me, so I'm gonna trust you and allow things to happen. If I need to change, if I need to respond, God, if you don't change the situation, I'm gonna keep leaning on you, shape me and guide me in whatever it is that I'm going through. And then we end our prayers with this. In Jesus' name, amen. So be it. This isn't just a magical incantation like abracadabra. Now you gotta make it happen. It's in Jesus' name. It's in the power of the name of Jesus, of the risen son of God who conquered death, who rose from the grave, the one who can break chains, the one who can make a way through, the one who conquers everything in our lives. We pray in his name and his power, and that's why prayer can flip the script. It's not just our empty words that we say and just repeat and wear God down, and he ultimately he's gonna give us what we want because we're just, you know, he's just so weary of us. No, but he sees our faithfulness and we pray in the power of his name. And so when we pray the simple prayer, we look at these five ways of praying. It's just simply saying, hey God, I'm really struggling with, would you help me? I trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. God hears that. And you're expressing that faith and God's looking for who's gonna be faithful to continue to pray and to have that connection with him. And when we do that, prayer changes things. The most powerful experience I ever had with prayer that is the first thing that ever comes to mind if I talk and think about the power of prayer and the power of God to intervene is back uh, some years ago, back in 2000, uh, in the, I don't know, 2008, 2009, I was a church planner. We had started a church in Arizona and we'd been a couple years as, into being a church and we were meeting in a school, set up and tear down. It was tough and rough, and we did it for 10 years, but we wanted a place to call our own, even one to start with, even if it wasn't a place where we could worship, but one maybe where we could, you know, have gatherings of, of, of people and youth group and children's ministry, and we can have our offices, and it could be a place where we could start from, and there was this one place right on the main road, um, and there was hardly anything available. If you remember the boom, especially in Phoenix in 2006, I mean, it, it was crazy, there was nothing available. And there was this one house that a dentist had used and an insurance agent had used. It was like, oh, this would be perfect for us. But we couldn't afford it. First time it came for sale. It was like 350, 400,000. I don't even remember. For a small church, there was no way we were gonna be able to do that. We were just a couple years old as a church. Then uh, the crash started happening. And we noticed that the house was gonna be for sale or that looked like it was being you know, made available. And we went in and, and uh, sure enough, the guy said, well, I'm gonna let it go into foreclosure. I can't afford the payments anymore. And, and back in the day, it was like, well, can we make a short sale? Can we make some offer? Can we get it before you let it go into foreclosure? And it was gonna be still several weeks out before that happened. And so we thought, man, if we could get this for like 150,000 or 200, maybe we could make that happen. So here we are, like, it's like teenagers getting a mortgage. That's why I have these conversations with my children. A young church trying to figure out how do you even get anyone to lend you any money? You have no history, you have no money. But we're like, let's figure out how can we make this happen? We started a campaign. We tried to raise money, maybe like 10, 15, 20,000 as a church is what we could do. Try to get a mortgage that we could, you know, maybe somebody pre-approves us for a mortgage. We ran this campaign. We were praying over the property. We would walk on the property and, and God just give us this property and felt like this was it. This was our moment. And so I remember one Sunday saying, okay, this week I'm gonna make the offer. I'm gonna go and hopefully, you know, let's pray that um, they would accept it. So I made a really good offer uh, and, and the guy said, no, I'm, I'm not going to accept it. I was like, what? You're just going to let it go for foreclosure? Yeah, yeah. Well, let me, let me raise the offer. So I raised the offer even more, pushing us to the max of what we could do. And he said, nah, I'm just going to let it go to foreclosure. 
I couldn't believe it. And I remember it was the Wednesday of that, of that week, and I went, to our, I went home, and I remember sitting on our back porch, and, and I would like to tell you I was praying, but I was really probably just more pouting and angry and upset and frustrated, like, God, I thought this was the thing, and now it's gone. Now it's gonna go into this never world, this world where all the mortgages are wrapped up and bought and sold, and we're never gonna, who knows? As I'm sitting there, I get a phone call from the realtor, and she was in our church, she was also a realtor, and she said, Mark, uh, you're never gonna believe it, but the property on Trico Road, the one that we were wanting to buy, she said, is gonna go on auction in two days on Friday. And she said, it's listed for $86,100 as the opening bid. And I was like, wow, okay, well, how do I do that? She said, well, you have to have the full cash amount. So if you bid and it ends up going to 150000 you have to be able to pay the full amount right there in cash within 24 hours. And I'm like, we don't have that. We raised like ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 for a down payment for something. Um, and... And so I was like, all right, well, let me figure it out. And I don't even know how to work auctions. I've never done that before either and don't have an agent or anything that could help me do that. And I'll figure it out. Well, within 24 hours, we got enough financing secured where if I won the bid for in some way, I could write a, a big check and then figure out how, how to pay people back. And so God worked in amazing ways in those days. And then on that Friday, I show up at the courthouse steps in uh, Florence, Arizona. And literally, that's what happens. The auctioneer comes, different ones with their books, and they open it up and they tell you, they say the next five properties up for bid. And, and so you just wait until that property comes up and people stand around. I don't know if you've seen the show like Storage Wars or things like that. And, and they're all like, who's, you know, put the finger up and they're bidding. Do I hear bid? And, then, and they're bidding, bidding each other up, right? So that maybe somebody spends money here and they won't buy the other one that somebody's interested in. And I'm going, I'm in over my head. I've never done this before. I don't, I can't, you know, I don't have unlimited resources to, to put towards this house and property. And so the day goes on and our house isn't being sold. I'm learning, it hasn't come up for auction yet. And then mid-afternoon, uh, one of the other people that's been around comes up to me and he says, uh, hey, um, I've seen you stand around all day here. Like what house or what property are you interested in? And I told him and he goes, hmm. And he walked away and I said, well, which one are you interested in? And he goes, yeah, that same one too. And I was like, well, don't bid against us. I said, we're a church. <laughs> and, uh, and his immediate reaction was, oh man, I don't wanna go to hell. And, uh, and he walked away. And so I remember texting Shannon and I said, Shannon, you got to pray because there's like other people that are interested in this property. And somebody else had let me know too that, you know, that they're interested. And so I was like, we got to pray because we, we need this. We believe this is what God has for us. And so the afternoon goes on a little bit. And, uh, and this guy that said he doesn't want to go to hell, he came up to me, and said, um, I'm bowing out of the, out of the bid. Uh, if you guys are a church and I'm, I, I, I'm out, I'm like, Shannon, keep praying because there's one, one down. We got one more to go. And I don't even know if there's more than that. And so um, we're, you know, time passes a little bit. And then this other guy who said he was interested, he came up to me with his cell phone open with a number already put in. He said, here, just hit send and call this number. I was like, who is this? He said, this is the guy that I'm representing that also wants to buy this property. Maybe you can talk him out of bidding on it. I mean, this guy didn't have to do this at all. <laughs> so I'm like cold calling this guy, no idea who I'm talking to. And I said, I hear you're interested in this property. And I talked to him and long story short, he says, well, if you're doing this for a church and you want to be, you know, buying it for the church, then um, from one Christian he said to another, then I'm going to back out. And, and uh, this, I'm like, wow, two down, Shannon, keep praying. You know, I mean, this is, this is good. I don't know who else is still interested. And now it's the last round of houses. And sure enough, the house that we want is in this last batch and it's going to be the last house. And so then I'm looking around and I'm waiting. And as, as he now calls, he said, all right, up for bid, Tricka Road. Um, and the two that, you know, were interested in the property, they, you know, they're packing up and they're leaving. And one by one, every last person left. 
And I'm standing there like going, holy cow. And the guy goes, all right, uh, Trick Road up for auction, $86,100. Do I have an opening bid? <laughs> plus one, I learned. <laughs> all I have to say, plus one more dollar for the opening bid. All right, do I have a second? <laughs> Crickets, it's Arizona, tumbleweed, <laughs> you know, blowing through. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, he said, going third, three times, sold to one community church, $86,101. I thought I was levitating or floating or something. I mean, I couldn't believe what just had happened. And that next day on Saturday, I had to come, I had to go to the title company, write the check for $86,100. They handed me the key. And on Saturday of that next week, I'm in the house as owner of this for our church. Talk about a great moment on Sunday morning to tell the church, right? I mean, talk about God making a way where there wasn't a way, breaking through, honest in prayer. Had he given us what we wanted, we would have paid two to three times as much. But God had a different plan, and he wanted us to stay faithful and to not give up and to do what we can and to trust him, and he did. It doesn't always work out this way. I wish it did. But in those moments where we see God, I hold on to that, and I had to hold on to that through some really difficult, challenging years financially as well as a reminder that, God, you have our best interest in mind. This is what you wanted. It was such a demonstration of faith. And now to see the church that's still, the church still gathering there 10 years later, they're actually gathering in that house. There's been a couple pastor changes. And when I see them worshiping there, I think this property allowed the church to still continue to be there, to have a faithful witness over these years in that place. God flipped the script. And you know what? He wants to do it in your life too. Prayer flips the script. Prayer changes things. When you have this ongoing conversation with God, when you let him know what's on your heart and mind, God changes things. But don't give up. Don't give up. Persist in prayer. I just want us to close with the time of prayer right now. And I want you just to close your eyes and I just want you to come before God. And just in the honesty of your heart, I want you to just like we said, acknowledge God's presence. Say, dear God, or hi God, or hey, what's up? Or our heavenly father, whatever. However you wanna address God in a way that just acknowledges his presence for you, you do that. James 5.16 says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. What's the script that God needs to change and to flip in your life? Maybe today you realize I don't have a relationship with God and I haven't really trusted in the power of prayer at all because I didn't think there is a God, but maybe this is God stirring in you where you realize I need God's presence in my life. I need to surrender my life to him. God can flip the script in your life. Maybe you need some healing. Maybe you need a relationship to be restored. I don't know. Let God know what it is that you need. change the course of our lives. God, that you can control situations so much out of our control, God, that you can change things in an instant. God, we know that you can change our hearts and you can change the way we approach things, the way we view things, the, the way that we think, the way that we feel. God, mold us and shape us. And Father, whatever situation we're bringing before you right now here, God, we pray for your 
power, for your touch to move. And God, we pray these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Let's stand together and let's just acknowledge that when we call upon God, that he can change our course in our life.